Good morning, everyone. As you may be able to tell, my voice is not fully with me, though I'm fully with y'all. I was in Denver this past week uh, for RUF staff training and did um, a good bit of teaching to the younger campus ministers, and I don't know if it's that or maybe just a, a little bit of a cold or something. I feel fine, but my voice is definitely weaker, but I trust that y'all can bear with me in that. We're going to be continuing to look at the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth, which is a book that you'll find after the book of Judges and before First and Second Samuel, a book that is a helpful bridge between those two things, between Judges, the time when everyone did what is right in their own eyes because there was no king, the time when the kingdom of Israel, instead of feeling the benefits and the blessings of living in the promised land, find themselves in the midst of turmoil and strife and even persecution. In this book that we've been looking at, the book of Ruth, invites us into a personal understanding of that through the lens of Naomi. Naomi, who was Ruth's mother-in-law, who saw her husband and her sons die while she was away from God's people and turns back to go to Israel, but with a sense that her life is one of bitterness and she is failing to see God's goodness. But throughout the book of Ruth, what we see is the way that God is good to her, good to all of his people, and even the way that Ruth reflects that to Naomi. And here in chapter 3, we begin to see things turn the corner, in a sense, for Naomi, as she begins to see God's faithfulness through Ruth, but also God's faithfulness to Ruth. So we're now going to turn our attention to God's word as we begin to see the light shining in of God's goodness into Naomi's life. Ruth 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor, and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. 
So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went out into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pause and ask his help to understand it. Our Father, we thank you that you write into our lives your truths. And that even now as we sit at your feet, you send your spirit so that these things would not be stories, tales, but truths that encourage us and strengthen us to know that this very God is real. This very God is ours. And we pray that you would strengthen us through those things for Jesus' sake. Amen. I was recently talking with a friend and he is incredibly stressed by one aspect of his job. There's one aspect of his job that's just as they say proverbially, eating his lunch. (laughs) He has this task that is weighing on him and he just keeps trying and trying and trying and trying. And even though he's trying to make progress in this part of his job, it just seems like every step forward ends up with two steps back. And as we were talking, the image that he said is it's like I'm just treading water, trying to keep my head up, but the waves are crashing over me. And I feel like I'm about to give up and drown. He's in a place of desperation. And the way that he describes that desperation is with exhaustion. You may know the phrase, desperate times call for desperate measures. And today, really, that's the outline that we'll have, desperate measures. But that's because that's what we see here in this passage. We see Naomi in a place of desperation. She sees the exhaustion of of what Ruth has done and the exhaustion of poverty, the exhaustion of being alone. And her desire is for that desperation to not continue. So we see in the very first verse her saying to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Naomi sees the handwriting on the wall that they are in a sense doomed to a cycle of poverty. That even though they've had the kindness of Boaz to be able to provide for them for these past few weeks, and that will probably carry them on for several months, if not a full year, Naomi knows that they'll just be back there the next harvest, still needing to rely upon the kindness and generosity of Boaz or others in the process of gleaning. And Naomi doesn't want to continue in this place of desperation. And in particular, she has a heart for Ruth and wants to see Ruth not in this place of desperation. And so she says, I want to seek rest for you. One of the beautiful things about this is it really reveals a heart of love that has grown for Ruth. If you remember in chapter 1, 
Naomi tried to get rid of Ruth. She sent Ruth back to her own mother saying, I can't provide for you. I want you to go home. And if you remember, the very language that she uses involves rest. She said, my daughter, should I not, um, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Naomi in chapter one had wanted rest for their daughters, but said, I can't provide it for you. Go back to your own mother's to your mother's house. Let them provide that rest for you. I can't do it. But that's a part of the beautiful thing that we see here at the beginning of this chapter. In a sense, what Naomi is doing is she's taking on that role of mother. No longer is Ruth just this burden she's trying to get rid of, but a daughter that she's seeking to love. You even see it when it kind of shows the contrast in the text when it says, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter. She doesn't call her my daughter-in-law, my daughter. We're seeing a change in the heart of Naomi happening. That as she's been experiencing the love of Ruth, it's giving her a sense of hope, giving her a sense of strength that is enabling her to begin to turn back towards Ruth, that very kind of love. Naomi is acting like her mother and wanting to seek rest. And that rest looks in a particular way. That rest has a sense of a, a place of rest. So not just the sense of like taking a nap, but in saying, I'm seeking rest for you, she's saying, I want to find a place of rest, a home. Some translations have for that word rest. Naomi wants to find a place of rest for her daughter-in-law, Ruth. She wants her to be able to have a home where she's no longer in this kind of cycle of poverty where she may or may not have a meal provided. And Naomi wants to see her established where she knows that she will be taken care of. And in that way, she's answering her own prayer from chapter one. She wanted Ruth to have a home, a place of rest, and for the Lord to deal kindly with her. And now she's saying, I want to be a part of answering that prayer. I want to help you to find a husband, to find a home. And out of that desperation, we see Naomi come up with a crazy plan. We see Naomi come up with this plan where she's going to send Ruth to the threshing floor. Now, the threshing floor would be right near where they were harvesting all the grain and the wheat. And so this is not kind of in the safety of the walled settlement where people would live, but this is kind of on the edges of town by the fields. And the threshing floor was a place where you would take the grain and you would kind of break it out of the husk so that way it could be ready to then be used in whatever manner you needed to use it. And so it would be this big open kind of um, covered place where the people would gather the grain and they would thresh it, but then they wouldn't return at home because there would be these huge piles of grain that could be stolen by thieves or taken by animals. And so the people would stay there at night to protect their grain. That made it, in a sense, though, a dangerous place because thieves would sometimes come and steal or animals would come to try to eat the grain. It was a dangerous place that Naomi is sending Ruth, and she's sending her to do a dangerous task. She's sending her to go in the nighttime, dressed up, 
with perfume to lay down at Boaz's feet. And in this culture, the threshing floor was often a time where prostitution would occur. And by sending her in this way, she's putting Ruth in a vulnerable place, not just physically, but with her reputation. We even see this in that Boaz says, hey, Ruth, wait until it's just about morning. When people can't see who you are, then slip away. And when he even tells his workers, don't mention that she was here. What is he doing? He's protecting her reputation. Why? Because that was a risk of her coming and going into the threshing floor. Naomi is sending her into a great place of vulnerability for her body, for her reputation. But Naomi is doing this out of love because she knows that she is desperate. She knows she can't provide for Ruth. And her only hope to find rest for her daughter-in-law is to find the Redeemer. You know, there's an interesting thing about this passage. This passage begins by talking about rest. And this passage ends by talking about rest. And the way that this passage is structured is with these parallel things that happen on both sides that moves you to the middle. And in the middle, we see Ruth cry out for her Redeemer. And that's really the thrust of this passage. That for those of us who are people that are vulnerable, for those of us who are longing for a place of rest, there's only one place that that is found, in the Redeemer. And what this passage is trying to help us to see is that Naomi was willing to risk because she saw in Boaz the character of one who would redeem. She saw in Boaz that he was, as it talks about him in chapter 2, verse 1, that he was a worthy man. He was a man who she could presume upon his character. You even see it in the way that she talks about what to expect. She says, go, uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. She's telling Ruth, I'm putting you in this place of vulnerability because I want you to find rest in the Redeemer. But I have confidence that when you put yourself in a vulnerable place with him, he will redeem you. He will provide for you. He will take care of you. Naomi is willing to put Ruth in this vulnerable place because she doesn't really think that, he's, that she's vulnerable because he, she knows the character of the Redeemer that he is good, that he is kind, that he is generous. And the reason that she knows that is because she saw the way that Boaz treated Ruth in chapter 2, that, that he didn't just kind of follow the letter of the law in terms of providing for the poor, but he went above and beyond in taking care of Ruth. He went above and beyond to make sure that his men were protecting her, that they gave her water, that they took extra grain out and give it to her. He 
took extra care to bring him into the fellowship of the community, providing food from his own hands to give to her, sending her back with more than she needed, hardly able to carry all that she had to go home with. Naomi saw the character of Boaz and was willing to put Ruth in that vulnerable place because she would never be vulnerable when the Redeemer was good. Naomi saw the way that Boaz treated Ruth and the way that he did not just obey God's command, but embodied his character in the way that he treated Ruth. And what Boaz was doing all through this time was showing mercy to Ruth. There's a beautiful definition of mercy by Sinclair Ferguson. He says this, Mercy is getting down on your hands and knees and doing what you can to restore dignity to someone whose life has been broken by sin, whether her own or that of someone else. Mercy is getting down on your hands and knees and doing what you can to restore dignity to someone. That's what Boaz was doing in chapter two. When Ruth was coming in a place of poverty, a place of need, an outsider, he dignified her by bringing her in and providing for her needs. He was showing her mercy. He was embodying mercy to Ruth. And Naomi saw that and said, this man is a worthy man. This man is someone whose character shows me that he is different. Remember, this is in the time of judges. This is the time when the people were beginning to be conformed to the nations around them. They were worshiping idols, and and there was this multiplication of sin throughout the land. Mercy was not common. Mercy was rare. But Naomi sees it in Boaz and says, this man is different. This man shows mercy because this man reflects his God. What Naomi sees in the character of Boaz is a reflection of the character of God, God who describes himself in Exodus 34 as a God who is merciful and abounding in steadfast love. We even, in our time of confession, not our time of confession, our time of confessing our faith, read Psalm 51, which speaks of God In this way, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. God is a God of mercy and abounding in steadfast love. And that steadfast love shows in the way that he takes his people in the midst of their brokenness and restores them to dignity. This is even what we see in the great work of the Exodus. In the Exodus, his people were in slavery. They were in a desperate place. And what does God do? God goes to them in their place of slavery. And he rescues them. And he brings them from being slaves in Egypt to the land of rest, to the promised land. There, God is demonstrating his mercy and the nature of himself and his love. That he doesn't just give his people the bare minimum of what they need, 
but in his mercy, he restores them in their dignity. And he lifts them up to a place that they could not go without him. Naomi sees the character of Boaz, and she sees past him to the God who is merciful, the God who is good. And she's willing to put Ruth in his hands because she knows his hands reflect his God's hands. His character reflects his God's character. And this is why Ruth is willing to do it. She trusts, in a sense, Naomi, trusts Naomi's wisdom, but she also has seen and knows the character of Boaz so that as she goes and she goes down to the threshing floor and she follows Naomi's pattern of of getting there and uncovering his feet so he'll wake up and as she begins to engage with him, look and see what she says in verse 8 and following. It says, at midnight the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. There, Ruth, as she engages with Boaz in his understandable surprise that there's this woman at his feet, what does she do when she speaks to him? She says, spread your wings over your servant. Now, there's a lot happening with that little phrase, spread your wings. First, it's actually kind of an idiom used to talk about marriage. To spread your wings was a way that you would refer to kind of being uncovered and then covered back over in marriage. Spread your wings is that idiom. It's also a a way to say, I'm cold. Can I have some of your cover? (laughs) He was trembling. His feet had been uncovered. She would probably be cold too. And in a way, it's like saying, hey, I'm cold. And I want that warmth. But it is also a reflection of the way that he embodies God's character. You may remember chapter 2. In chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz says to Ruth, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz spoke to Ruth and says, The God that you have come to believe in, is a God who sees those who are outsiders and covers them with his wings. And when Ruth says to Boaz, spread your wings over me, in a way she's saying, put your money where your mouth is. If you believe in a God who is merciful and loving, and the way that he shows that is by when there's an outsider seeking refuge, covering them with his wing. Will you do that to me? I am an outsider. I'm cold. I'm in need of a home. Will you be that for me? Boaz proclaimed to Ruth a God of mercy who takes in the vulnerable. And Ruth says, because you worship this God, will you be merciful to me? And it's important to understand this dynamic because it'd be easy to look at this chapter And to think Boaz is this great man of character, and he is. And to just stop with the character of Boaz. But to not understand the foundation of that character. To not understand where that character comes from. 
Boaz's character is not something that was created by good parents, though I imagine he had good parents. Wasn't created by a lot of self-help books. They didn't have those back then. Wasn't created by a lot of effort. It was created by a lot of worship. It was created by a man who listened and heard about the words of God so that we see throughout him speaking the words of God back to Ruth and to others. It was created by one who meditated on God's law so that we see him not just obeying the minimum, but embodying it in his character and who he was. The hero of this story is not Boaz. The hero of this story is the one that Boaz reflects in his nature, in his character. You see, he is merciful to Ruth because he knows that God is merciful to him. And he's willing to redeem Ruth because he sees himself as one who has been redeemed by God. The real hero of this story is the God who is the real Redeemer. That word Redeemer, the word Goel in the Old Testament, refers to the way that God brings his character of mercy into the life of his people. And so he creates this idea of redemption in the way that his people were to relate to each other. And one of the ways that we see that is with the idea of a kinsman redeemer. And what this would be is if you would be in a place of desperation, where because of of debts, you needed to cover those debts. So you would take the land that had been given to you by God for you and your family forever. You would take that land and you would sell it to cover your debts. Or perhaps because you had these debts, you would even sell yourself or one of your children into indentured servitude. You can understand in a place of desperation, you would give up your freedom. You would give up your property to cover over that debt. But God puts into the fabric of his people mercy. And so he created this idea of a kinsman redeemer, that if one of your relatives was in this desperate position where they had to sell off the family land, you could come and you could buy it back. You could come and you could pay for their debt so that land would be restored to the family. You could go and find those who were indentured servants and you could buy back their freedom. And there's another way this is seen in the idea of a leveret, one that was a, a relative of someone who died, so that, that if a woman had her husband die, that person's brother or another close relative was called to marry that woman, marry that woman and seek to have children. And the fascinating thing about it is, is that those children would not be this man's who was alive, but it would be the dead man's. It would be the dead man's children who would carry on his name. And you see the beautiful thing that God is doing. He's weaving into his people the fabric of mercy, the fabric of his character, so that his people embody to each other the mercy of God, that when you are in slavery, you bring them to freedom. When they sell off their home, you buy it back for them. And when death even robs them of their name, you're able to give it back to them. 
in all those aspects of mercy are ways that God is bringing into his people the character of who he is, the great God of mercy who is the God who redeems, the God who redeems his people. Throughout the Old Testament, the one who is most often called a redeemer is God. As Isaiah says, he is our redeemer. The Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Or as God even speaks to his people multiple times in the book of Deuteronomy, he says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. God is a redeemer. He's a redeemer who finds us in our slavery to sin and buys us back by paying that debt to restore our dignity and freedom. He's a God who sees the way that we have sold off our inheritance, this world, our land. And what does he do? He comes back into this world to buy back this world from the devil. That we might be able to inherit this world through him. What does he do when we are dead in our sins and trespasses. He redeems us. He buys us back from being sold into death and slavery to the evil one and redeems our freedom and our name so that we are not children of the devil, but children of God, our Father. God's character is one of mercy and that's seen in redemption. And the way that he takes us who are broken by sin, broken by the fall, and through his own getting down on his hands and knees in the incarnation of Christ, brings us back up to a place of dignity. Boaz understood that was the nature of his God. And so because he saw a God of mercy, he was merciful. And the beautiful thing about mercy is that it's the opposite of sin. In the book of Judges, you see sin grow and multiply. But what we see in the book of Ruth is mercy begin to multiply. We started with a desperate Naomi who was cynical about God, but as Ruth showed her a little bit of kindness, Kindness grew in Naomi's life. We see the way that, that Boaz, as he receives mercy, uh, even in the form of Ruth, saying that I want to be married to you. How does he respond in this chapter? He sees her kindness and he's so much more kind back to her. Sending her home with even more food, six measures of barley, which was about 80 pounds. That's a lot. A little bit of mercy is multiplied to a lot of mercy. We see the multiplication of mercy in the book of Ruth. Even for Elimelech, the dead husband, who will find through Boaz and Ruth redemption. That even his death doesn't mean the end of his name, but that his name will be carried on through Boaz's Mercy, Boaz's work of redemption. 
But this comes not because Boaz and Ruth and Naomi are good people, but because they study the character of their God. This is actually what Jesus teaches his followers. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says this, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. And I love this. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure to which you measure it will be measured back to you. Do you hear what Jesus said there? Be merciful. Why? Because your heavenly Father is merciful. But what happens, does Jesus say, when you are merciful to others? You find it multiplied back towards you. The extent to which you are merciful to others is the extent to which you believe that God has been merciful to you. But the extent to which you are merciful to others is multiplied in the way that God pours out his mercy back on you. And we see this in the midst of this passage, the way that that mercy just seems to multiply as people step into embodying the character of their God. And brothers and sisters, this is what we are called to as well, to be people that embody God's character, to be people that embody mercy to each other, so that when we see each other in sin, we sacrifice our time, our energy, to pray for them, to sit with them, to encourage them. When we see each other dealing with death, whether that's the grief that one of us is going through or the specter of death and our own brokenness in our bodies, we come alongside and we bring life to them in our fellowship and our prayers. We show mercy to each other in the way that we guard each other's reputations, just like Boaz did. And seek the good of each other's name, not by gossiping about each other, but by being encouragers. That's what I did with my friend who was desperate. I sat with him, and I encouraged him. And even though I have no solution for his job, that was a bit of redemption, a bit of mercy. And that's what the body of Christ does. We embody mercy to each other. And what that does is it points us back to the mercy that we have received from God. But the reason that we are able to be merciful people is not because of our character, but because of our worship. And the beautiful thing that we have right now in this season is the reminder of the great redemption that comes through Christ. In the Christmas song, O Holy Night, it says this, Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Do you hear that desperation? That longing for rest. But then it continues, Until he appears and the soul feels its worth. That mercy lifts up the soul into a place of dignity. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn, 
Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices, O night divine, O night when Christ was born, O night divine, O holy night. We have in Christmas a reminder that we have a Savior who redeemed us, who comes to find us in our desperate place and to measure out in us the abundance of our love until it is overflowing not just into our life but into the lives of each other. We have a Savior who sees us in our weariness of sin, our sickness, our fears, and comes to be with us in it, to bring us where we can't go without Him. We have the Savior who says to us, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's only one place that you can find rest, and that's in the only Redeemer of God's elect. Worship Him. May His character spread forth from you and us as His body. Amen. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for the redemption that you win for us at the cost of your life and the way that it brings into us a life that we could never have apart from you. We pray that we would worship that so deeply that your character is embedded in our life. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.